This is Danielle Krissa from The Jealous Curator. And late last August, I found myself in the lobby of a hotel in Nashville, Tennessee. It was the Graduate Hotel. Was I staying there? No. I just stopped in to take a look around. And oh my, what I found. There were a wall full of couches, hoop skirts, chandeliers hanging from the ceiling, but it was the huge pink hook rug of Minnie Pearl above the reception desk that stopped me in my tracks. Who? Who made this? I shouted. Okay, I didn't shout. I actually asked politely, but that was just my um, Dateline-esque intro to, you know, add a little drama to today's episode. Oh, you guys, today's case, it starts with Minnie Pearl and it ends with well, I don't know, because we haven't investigated yet. So, it is all about that mini pearl hook rug, though. I don't know if you guys have seen that. If you've been to the Graduate Hotel in Nashville, but it is the first thing that you see. And I found out, when I asked politely, not shouting, um, that the artist who made it was Margaret Timbrell. And she's based in San Francisco. Um, her Instagram is i'm going to tell you right now um it's also in the show notes over at youtube so margaret m-a-r-g-a-r-e-t d-t-h margaret d-t-h um okay and before we go any further into any of this actually that's a really good segue to say if you are listening to the episode wherever you download your podcasts did you know that you can also now watch these episodes? Yes. If you head over to youtube.com slash the jealous curator, you can see this podcast too. So get over there because I am about to attempt sharing my screen so that you can see this fabulous hotel lobby. Uh, the whole hotel was designed by Hartshorn Pluckard, Plunkard Architecture, uh, who hired an amazing interior designer an artist named Andrew Alford, who I follow on Instagram, and I love him. Um, I'll put his uh, stuff in the YouTube notes as well, because you need to go and follow him. Okay, now, wish me luck. Here we go, sharing uh, the screen. Let's see if I can find him. Um, Chrome. Share graduate hotels <gasps> okay this is the hotel but look look at that lobby and there's mini pearl there's the wall of couches there's the hoop skirt chandeliers there's mini over behind the reception gold couches i mean come on we're going back to mini oh yes there she is like look at that big gigantic beautiful thing um Okay, while we're while we're sharing, let's hope. Okay, so this is Margaret's Instagram. Look, you can see right there, Margaret DTH. Um, and so look, look at this big beautiful thing. Oh my god, I just couldn't get enough of it. Um, so okay, I'm gonna stop sharing my screen now and we're gonna talk about this for a minute. So now, not only Am I kind of obsessed by that hook rug that Margaret made? It turns out that she also 
subscribes to my newsletter, which is amazing. Um, it's called the No Such Thing as Too Much Art Society. Um, and when I asked that fabulous community of artists to send their questions and issues in for this new version of the podcast, Margaret was one of those people, um, which I kind of couldn't believe, worlds colliding. Um, so now some people, me included, might assume that an artist who is commissioned to create a big, beautiful piece for one of the most amazing hotel lobbies I have ever loitered in would not have any questions or concerns. But of course she does, because we all do. So here is the letter that Margaret sent in. I'm going to read pretty much, I think the whole thing here. Okay, so she says, I am having a multi-part issue. I show consistently and have, have landed that one big project, but I still don't have gallery representation, which I really want. Also looking to land more paid projects like Mini Pearl, of course. Um, and Art Friendly recently told me that she started leveling up professionally when she scaled her work larger. My medium is needlework and labor intensive, so usually maxes out around 40 inches by 40 inches. Minnie was an exception because she was a commission that provided all of the materials and support for an assistant to, to truly scale big. Okay, so the first part of the question, what are your recommendations on scaling larger for labor intensive artists? How do I do this while staying true to my practice? Um, I liked your paneling suggestion in a recent email. We'll come back to this at the very end. Um, but I haven't noodled how to make that work for me. Uh, that same art friend also hired um, an art PR person, which I think helped her to level up as well. So the second part of my question, what are your thoughts on the value of an art business PR type person? Have you used one before? No. Um, for example, Wendy Chin, another fabulous fiber, um, fiber artist in San Francisco. Do you think she uses an art PR person? I feel like this is something artists do, but maybe they keep it on the down low. Okay, so that was her letter. Two really big questions. So I think, and neither of which I'm really an expert in. So time to call in the forensic slash, not forensic at all, creative experts. Um, Okay, and so for question one, scaling up when your work is labor intensive, I want to bring another artist who works in the fiber and textile realm, who definitely knows a thing or two about large scale work um, that is time consuming. I've had her on the podcast before as a full interview about her life, um, which I will have in the notes on YouTube for you. But today she is jumping in to help us crack this case from her studio in Toronto. Ready? Ooh, I am very excited to hear from Geo Swaby. <laughs> My best Oprah. Geo! <laughs> That's very close, very Thank close. Thank you. You don't get a new car though. I don't have any cars to hand out oh, today. Man. You get a car and you get a car. Well, I'm happy just to be here. Like that's enough of a gift for me. <laughs> It's so nice to see you. It's great to see you as always. How are you doing? Are you so busy as always? Uh, I'm good. I'm actually like a, a little bit less busy probably than the last time I talked to you. I finished my MFA. Um, oh my gosh. Thankfully, which is like such a relief. <laughs> yeah. 
And yeah, I just been able to focus on my art practice a bit more. Of course, it's still, you know, pretty busy, but I feel really lucky to be able to be in the position that I am. Yeah, well, it's not luck. It's a whole lot of hard work. So and it's just so fun to to watch you and cheer from the sidelines and see all of your fabulous outfits that you wear to all of your openings. <laughs> That's almost more exciting than the art half the time. It's like, what is Geo going to wear? Thank you. Thank you. I know. I'm like, I got to give like a variation in the show. You come, some people come for the art. Some people come for the clothes. I love them equally. I'm very happy with both. Well, I'm going to scroll through your Instagram in a minute so people can see how awesome it all is. Um, But yes, you know, I've had you on the podcast uh, for the, with the old format when I started with, were you an artsy kid? And we worked our way all the way through, but now you're here as one of my creative case solving experts and so I'm going to read you Margaret's question again but as soon as I read this question I thought of you because I thought you have done exactly this so um Margaret's first question she says what are your recommendations on scaling larger for labor-intensive artists how do I do this while staying true to my practice um yeah so tell Mm. us this is a really great question. I feel like because I had a lot of like difficulty in moving from the smaller space that I started into working a bit bigger. Um, so I guess, first of all, the first thing I would consider in this is like, do you actually need to work bigger? Like, is that a requirement of your current practice? Is it is a requirement of the pieces that you were about to make? Is it uh, really necessary for that piece? Because, you know, I think sometimes people feel like moving into the bigger space is always better. But I don't think that's true for every single piece and every single work. So I guess for me, that's what I would first consider. And then if you, you know, feel pretty certain you want to move forward, how to move forward for that The first big hurdle is like releasing the fear of failure because you will fail. Trust me. Unless you're great. I mean, maybe, maybe you won't, maybe everything will go great, but probably not. Like it's probably not going to go how you think. And, um, it truly sucks. Like there's no way to say it's doesn't, it feels. Especially when it's so much work, like you put so much much work, so much material, and now you're like, oh my gosh, it's not giving. Um, but I think just to remember that, you know, failure is just a step on that road to learning, being able to gain the experience to actually know how to move forward. Like the first small thing you made might not have been great either. And moving into that bigger space, a lot of things have to change. Like uh, the scale changes, like the weight. So things will be different with If you work on a hoop and you need to stretch things, you have to figure that out. If you're working on a sewing machine, I know for me, the weight was a big issue of moving this big canvas around and how to handle that. Um, So a lot changes when you move into the bigger space, even if you are making something that's like the same, but you just, you know, scaled up. Um, So I guess that connects to, to taking care of yourself and your body, which is probably like, one of my least favorite things when it's not when it's not fun like getting a massage when it's like okay maybe you know 
exercise like I had to start exercising actually to because the machine I was working on was causing so much pain for me like back pain shoulder pain all through the arms I remember and- that yeah you needed to have the the muscles and the endurance to be able to do your work yeah so unfortunately we <laughs> have got to <laughs> you gotta like you know start to think about that for yourself like how do you to protect your body um but also to protect your mind in these big spaces and remember to rest and just be easy on yourself just like give yourself a lot of grace and sometimes I actually even have to picture myself as another person like would I really make another person sit here for six hours straight and not have a break and probably not so then that's a really good way to think about it give yourself give yourself the break um let's see oh planning you got like like I said with the material when you work in the smaller space it's sometimes a little bit easier to wing it because of the amount of material and time it's not always as big of an investment when you start working bigger and you know you're you're using big pieces of fabric or a lot of yarn or thread that's a huge amount to experiment with and not really have any sense of the outcome at all so I'm the kind of person I'm very like intuitive and I like to be free but I'm also want to come in with some kind of a plan like right because if you cut that big piece of fabric now you're screwed because yeah measure twice (laughs) measure six times in fact (laughs) and cut it only once because you only get one time I mean, you can be creative and stitch it back together, I guess, if you want to, but sometimes there's no do-over. Yeah. And then you just like wasted a piece of fabric and then wasted some of your time and you have to start again. And then if you only ordered one yard of this fabric and you've already cut it, then like, um, can you see like I'm experiencing, like re-experiencing some moments? I can see see the sweat on your brow as you remember that day. So clearly. <laughs> um, okay, so two two more last final points. I really thought about this because I'm like- I appreciate I that do? so much. I love that you've got your list and your little pencil. I, do. I got my pencil <laughs> and my list. Um, so uh, you can also move into the bigger space by just combining small things. So maybe, you know, a lot of it sometimes is down to, depending on what medium or like how you're working, for quilting for example maybe it's down to like the machine you have you just like it's really hard to work bigger on a small machine um so the way to get around that is exactly what's done in quilting is like piecing you can put together small things so maybe if you work on an embroidery and you just work on one part of it and then you attach it to another part or an example of when I did that was in, I, I think it's one of my most recent posts on my Instagram. It's like a grid of nine small pieces and on their own, I think they still work really well, but the impact of having the nine together and making it one big piece was huge. So I've done that a few times where I've like combined smaller pieces to make one big piece. Is and that kind of how you start? Was that your first 
is that how you made the jump from smaller work to bigger work by do or did you just go from because your your pieces when I met you were sort of like they were portrait size because they were actually like life size of your head but then it can, yeah. and then you went to full body size and so did you just make that jump or did you do grids to kind of babysit I, in I or just no? made that jump and started trying to work in the larger scale and messed up a bunch of times and had to <laughs> restart um so I did it tr through trial and error of like oh wait that didn't work I need to start over again so this is what I mean about like the being able to plan part yeah and, that's what um, I was wondering about Margaret's work um and uh I'll for people watching and listening I'll go back and I'll share a screen of of some of the stuff that Margaret's doing that isn't the giant hook rug which by the way I think that is all she should do forever because I can love that thing. So cool. But anyway, I understand that it is like that project she was commissioned to do. So she didn't have to worry about paying for materials and whatever, because it was all provided. Right. So you can yeah. kind of, you've got the freedom of winging it because she was given an assistant and the materials. Mm -hmm. um, so her work is sort of like a needlepoint um, work. So one of the things I had, I was thinking of too was doing grids right like so if she did a whole bunch and then hung them uh all together it would kind of make a big work but what I'm wondering is if I I mean I'm Margaret if you're listening I I'm, I'm reading between the lines here but I kind of think that maybe she wants to keep doing those big hook rug things instead of doing a giant cross stitch embroidery piece do you know what I mean so mm -hmm. um that's what I want her to do anyway. Um, but yeah, the, it might be a good little um, uh, transition. Maybe it's even a combination of cross stitches and like smaller hook rugs that then are all hung together, you know, as that baby step to the bigger stuff. But yeah, anyway. yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, that's very true. Uh, that could you know, it could even be attached that it does look like it was all made as one thing too. True. So that's an option. Yeah. Um, I think the last thing is like, <laughs> um, we all love making art, but let's be real. After you've been doing it for a while, like, a, like working on one thing for a few hours, it gets you, it gets hard to like, because the excitement part is gone and you're just like now I need to just finish this thing and and move forward with it yeah um, and the way that you know when I'm doing the part of the task that's like more monotonous and less creative and intuitive and spirited is uh I got really into audiobooks like the last <laughs> two years yeah but I don't let myself listen to it unless I am doing that task so it's helped me a lot like when I can't rely on my motivation or any other reason to like get to the sewing machine today I want to know what's going to happen next <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> dangle a little carrot for yourself see mine would be true crime shows it would be all datelines in 2020s um just dangling that's yeah. a really good idea yeah, it, it helped me a lot. Like it tricked my brain. I have to find ways to trick myself sometimes. I, I hope myself doesn't find out what my other self is doing because <laughs> I need this. 
yeah and, and then your like, other and then the other self who's sitting there and you're making the poor thing work for six to eight hours with no breaks no bathroom breaks no food keep sewing or <laughs> other geo or other me i know that's <laughs> like really it's i mean thankfully i my partner is really like uh checking in on me when he sees me get into the zone he's like okay, but did you eat? Because you've been here all day and <laughs> I don't see any evidence of eating or drinking or. <laughs> That's the other thing, water, exercising and drinking water. Cause I find like with, um, with collage or ceramics, like I'm all hunched over yeah. and then I get so tight and I'm not drinking water and you, yeah, you need to do both of those things. I want to go back to something you said right off the top, which I thought was I think it was point number one on your list about do you really have to go big or do you really want to go big or like, is that really where you want your work to go? Because one of the things she said, I don't know if I sent you her whole question, but one of the things that she said was that um, a friend of hers, another artist recently told me that she started leveling up professionally when she scaled her work larger. Mm. So yeah like Margaret do you really want like I know she wants to level up professionally that's what she wants right she wants to get more commissions she wants gallery representation she wants to level up does that mean you have to scale your work up or do you know what I mean so I think what she really wants is to level up professionally and what do you think like do you find you know people love big things like what I think, I think there is an attraction to like working in a big way. Yeah. It doesn't have to be scale wise. I think it's like, that is a big misconception for a lot of people. Like when you start to move, you know, make this bigger thing that the work is automatically better. Um, I think, you know, it's, part of thinking about the impact of the piece and uh, how how it's working for your particular practice or even for the show that it's going to be in. Um, Like if you're not at the point where you're like, I want to have my show at this gallery and this is where it's going to be. I think a lot about, you know, which space is the work going to be shown in? Is it going to really dwarf these pieces that I'm making? And Perhaps that doesn't mean I make that individual piece bigger, um, but I might make like, you know, more of them. And yeah, like you, how you have your tall ones that like are in a set of three or whatever so that they dominate more of a wall. Yeah. Right. It has that impact. I think a good artist to look at that works in textiles and does this, well, they make paper and also um, use uh, hair as part of the fibers in their work. Um, Adabumi Badabo, also represented by Claire Oliver. Oh yeah, uh, gallery. Uh, she makes these really beautiful uh works with like handmade paper and hair and indigo dye, but uh, they're fairly small, all of them. Um, but then she did like a really big wall of like forty, I think, of them all together, and like that's, you know, that's the show right um so I really felt the impact there and then I feel like there are people that intentionally work in the small space because it brings people in to look closer especially with work that has a lot of detail um 
like, you know, really small works that are perhaps like working with um, stitching or embroidery in some fashion. People mm -hmm. want to look closer at them. So I don't think it's necessary to really, you know, keep going bigger, bigger, bigger. But I don't think it's also a bad thing to try if you think that might be what you need to do. Just yeah. Yeah. Just and I mean, it... her mini pearl piece is a perfect example. And I know I sent you her links and stuff. So you've seen her her um embroideries that are generally they look like they're about 12 by 12 kind of size. Um I mean she can obviously go big because that hook rug is flipping amazing, but mm -hmm. she can go small. So I think Margaret, you know, um I think you have to think about exactly that like why do you want to go big versus is it right for you and maybe she can maybe she could do hook rugs that are gigantic and then because she can certainly market herself with it she could she can use this mini pearl piece as a calling card right mm -hmm. to get other commissions I'm sure and um but yeah it's such an it's a good question to have to really think about why because with you it made sense because you wanted your portrait pieces were actual life-size portrait pieces but then the reason you went bigger was because you were going to do the whole body right right um so it was natural for me to move into the to that larger space for making because I'm still keeping the same scale really for the body for life the body size. yeah but I just you know need a bigger space to work in now yeah um, I think um, you know what was important to me as an artist was to stay kind of authentic to what is truly an interest to me. Like, what do I actually want to explore with my work? Is it honest to what I have been doing? Like for me, you know, so much of my work is really about the conceptual framework, the theory that guides it, the people that I'm representing. So I'm like, is it is it really staying true to that? Or am I just making this because I think it's what people want to see? And I try not to do that because I feel like that always ends up being weaker. Yeah. Um, if I, if you, you know, guide your practice by what you think people want to see, you'll never make what you want to make. And perhaps like, you know, that will prevent you from becoming your truest, like most, uh, the the best version of your artist self if yeah you, absolutely because you know, if you're making what art. you think people want to see so are a lot of other people and then you're just kind of in that middle oatmeal you know middle ground instead of being your thing that that you know and that's one of the things she says like right after she says about leveling up she says um but she wants to stay true to her practice right so I think um yeah, I think it's all very interesting. I mean, I think that all sounded very smart. And hopefully, Margaret, if you're listening, <laughs> she'll either, you know, she'll be able to think about it a little bit more and decide if, because I think she can, quote unquote, level up, staying the size that she's at, like that example that you gave, you know, with having 40 pieces that you come in and it's super impactful. There's lots of other ways to do it if if scaling big doesn't feel authentic or right you know, in her own practice. Yeah. yeah. I would say like, don't like, if you're feeling pressured to do it, even if you're interested in it, it's just like, I'm excited to see what it will look like big. Then I still think that's a good enough reason totally. to explore yeah. it. But if you're feeling like pressured or by, you know, you kind of like a lack of 
what you can perceive to be a lack of interest or some other reason, I would say that's not really a good reason to do it because then you kind of start to move into a dangerous place of working for or making the artwork that you feel like other people want to see and you're not really making it for yourself anymore. Um, and I think every artist struggles with that because there is so there are so many incredible, wonderful, like extremely talented artists and the right person just has not looked at their work yet. Yeah. I mean, that was the case for me. No, I mean, I'm sorry, but no, no one was on my run to speak like before. <laughs> no, like I can say like people like I felt confident in my work. I have a really nice group of people, like a really close group of people around me that I can trust who will say like, it's giving, it's not giving. And I believe them. Yeah. Um, but if I felt like if I had gone on whether or not people were responding to the work, oh my goodness, the amount of, <laughs> the amount of no's, the amount of no's that you hear, it's just, it's a lot and it's hard. Yeah. It, it really is hard, but I would say like, just try to, uh, the thing that keeps you going is probably can be like what inspires you in the art, like actually making the art that's enjoyable to you. And that brings you, you know, the most satisfaction and the most like, um, and, and just brings you the most, not necessarily joy is not the word, but, um, that makes you feel like you're staying the most honest and true to yourself and still exploring and experimenting at that same time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Gio, that was so awesome. And now I want to go make stuff. You've got me all geared up <laughs> Good. and I'll, I'll Good dangle call. some true crime for myself for, for when I'm, you know, just down there rolling more clay snakes. That's my new thing. Clay snakes. Ooh, that's I exciting. I know. I haven't shown anything yet. I've, because you know, I do collage work and it's all cut paper, but I joined a ceramic studio and I've been making bits of ceramics and I'm going to make collages of the bits of ceramic on panel. Oh gosh. <gasps> so things are starting to come oh out of the kiln. Oh, look, I do. I have a snake right here. Oh my gosh. <gasps> it's a little that's walnut so speckled cool. snake. Ooh. Is this just like the bisque firing of it? Are you gonna glaze it? Um, that's glazed. That was glazed with a um. Let's see what else have I got here for you. Um, I'm making combs, like hair combs. Oh, okay. Love so, but they're it. all everything is is just done in um creams, whites, like all body colors because it's, it's gonna be very much. Speaking of body, this is half a peach, but it's it looks. Well, <laughs> so I wanted it to look feminine, but it looks really feminine. I think, I mean, <laughs> whenever you cut a fruit in half, yeah, you know, this is what we're going to see, but yeah. I think it, it looks really cool, especially along with the, oh, I love the half of the seed in it. Yeah, like, so I toned that one down. The other one was a little too pink. Yeah, so I left, the, there's a pit in that one. I've got, oh, I've got all sorts of things. And then I've got these little hands <gasps> that will hold the things on. Oh. Yeah, and a little manicure. Oh, the nail polish. Mm -hmm. And I've just discovered gold luster. So those are all downstairs, but 
Oh I've got God. some gold manicures on some of my hands. I need to come here all the time. I get to see new stuff and like, this is so exciting. I'm so excited. So I have no idea what I'm doing, but it's very, very fun. I've always wanted to play with clay my whole life and somehow had in my head that I wasn't allowed. I think we didn't have ceramics at my art school and it was very poo-pooed that it was, you know, I don't know, a craft. <laughs> and have you heard that before? And, uh, and so I... Yeah, so I've just been doing, I joined the studio and I go two times a week and make stuff. And I don't know what I'm doing with glaze or like I learn something new every single time, but I've got all these beautiful wood panels and I'm going to mount these things and, you know, do my narratives, but out of clay instead of paper. I love this because I think it's so cool as an artist to just try something new, like... Yeah. It feels really hard because you get really good at something and you kind of like get used to that level of working. But I really like throwing a wrench and it's sometimes like, why don't I try this thing? I could be really bad at at first. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I've had so many things I've just like smashed or like had to like recycle and whatever, but it, I kind of, I don't care. Like it's so, I'm having so much fun. And well, you're uh, already yeah. making like such cool stuff, like. How long have you been doing this? Um, I started in um, October. Um, so I haven't actually made a final piece yet because you know what? Well, you understand things taking a lot of time it takes fucking forever. It does. And it does. so I'm slowly like amassing all my bits. Like I've got like, like I made like little, little geodes. Oh, that's cool. Oh, where's the thing? Yeah. So I've got like, I've got these little things. So every time I have to wait for them to dry and then bisque fire and then glaze and then fire and then blah, blah, blah. So it takes forever. But I'm finally, I finally got like a pretty good chunk of stuff. I've got the panels. I'm good to go. So I think I could probably start assembling in the next couple of weeks and Ooh. yeah, and see if this actually works. And it's so funny talking about scale because I did a show in Nashville and I wanted to go really big. They were paper collages, but they were really big. It cost me thousands of dollars to ship it. And after that, I was like, I'm only doing small work from now on. I know that feeling or or I'm I'm just doing things that can be rolled. Like, yeah. I me, I know that feeling. Yeah. Oh, so now, and these are going to be heavy, right? With the ceramic. So it's going to cost a lot to ship. So I'm like, um, let's get clever about how how big these panels are because as cool as it looks to go big and step into a gallery and see this giant thing it's like can it even be supported on the wall like how am I going to get yeah. it where it needs to go is it going to break uh, you know yeah. so there's all those things to consider as well so for now I'm staying small because I can't afford to go big <laughs> yeah yeah that's such a big thing like I think that's why I even ended up working like in super lightweight material in the first place because I just like I'm just gonna roll this thing up and yeah you know it only weighs like two pounds it's not gonna be yeah oh my gosh yeah the the shipping is like the most stressful part of yeah the whole thing for yeah, me. and you're in Canada too so so shipping to yeah. the states is like a whole extravaganza that I can't even talk about or the rage 
will boil up from within. Oh my gosh, Tony, you're you're right. Let's keep let's keep it happy. Let's keep it positive, Gio. Okay. Well, thank you so so much for this. I appreciate it so much, and um, it was so nice to catch up with you. And we'll do this again very very soon. That sounds amazing. Okay. Thank you for having me. Good luck with everything. Thank you. Bye. How amazing was that? Oh, Gio, I just love her so much. I love her work so much. And so on that note, I'm going to just quickly wish me luck again. One of these days, I'm going to be an expert. Okay, share screen. <laughs> okay, I hope you can see this. So here's Gio's work. This is what she was talking about. Um, so showing things in a grid. So these are actual life-size sort of portraits, um, but she hangs them in a great big grid so that it's got more of an impact when you walk in. Um, here's Gio wearing one of her awesome outfits to the opening of a show. Here's another one, another awesome outfit and her being cute and hilarious. <laughs> um, Oh, just look at the outfits. I mean, I cannot even. Okay. Uh, and then, yeah. So then you can see here's some of her pieces that are actually larger and life-size. Here she is with that grid. I think there might be. Yeah. And here's what she does when she was saying that she installs them sometimes three large panels side by side. And again, awesome outfit. Um. <clears throat> Yeah, and then, oh, look, here was when she was on Art for Your Year. This was the work of Geo's I first saw years ago when I met her just sort of by chance at an art show in Vancouver. Uh, we were both living in Vancouver at the time. And uh, I just, I mean, look at it. I instantly loved it. And so it's been kind of amazing to watch her develop and grow into, oh my gosh, you guys, wait, this outfit. Okay, this dress, wait for it. Okay, there's the, oh, you guys. This is at, this is Claire Oliver. This is, um, she runs the gallery that Geo belongs to in New York. Um, I think this was at LACMA. Yeah, this was at a, a gala at LACMA. Isn't that fabulous? Oh my gosh, I really hope I'm sharing my screen with the right thing and not with my notes that I have. But I mean, come on. Oh, Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, and then while well, I'm sharing, so I don't have to try and do it again, here's Margaret's work um, outside of the mini pearl hook rug. This is what she does uh, mainly is these sort of cross stitch text pieces. Um, so it kind of gives you, it's just interesting that it is so different than the hook rug. And that's why I think, um, well, there's a little hook rug. Yeah, so I just think it's interesting that that um oh and here that here's a whole bunch all together. So, you know, Margaret, you might already be there, but you know how I feel about mini pearl. I really want you to do as many giant hook rugs as possible. This was a workshop she did at the hotel, a hook rugging workshop. Amazing. Now, you guys, I don't know if I've told you. But as a child of the 70s and early 80s, I was very 
into hook rugs like very into hook rugs my stocking my christmas stocking was a hook rug stocking that i made um my whole wall in my room was a giant rug and then i hook rugged rug hooked you know other smaller ones to then put on top of the shag carpet in my room so margaret when i tell you that i love the mini pearl thing and i think that you should be doing more hook rugs it's coming from a very authentic place. I I truly love it with all my heart and you obviously know what you're doing. So that's my vote for where you should focus your work. But hey, trust your instincts. Um, okay, so the other part of Margaret's question, part two, she says, what are your thoughts on the value of an art PR type person? Have you used one before? No, I have not. Maybe I should. Um, she said, uh, Margaret says, for example, Wendy Chien, uh, do you guys know her work? I will put her work in the notes as well. Amazing. Um, do you think she used a, a PR person? I feel like that's something that artists do, but maybe keep on the down low. Okay, so I have no idea how to answer this question because I have never used one and maybe I should be, I don't know. Um, I do really want to know the answer though. So sometimes when investigating creative mysteries, it's just best to trust your instinct. So let's follow Margaret's lead and just get right to the heart of things, shall we? Let's go ahead and call Wendy Chin and see what she says. Yes? Yes. Hi, Wendy. I am so excited to have you here. Danielle, I'm such a big fan. I'm super thrilled too. Thanks. <laughs> so I kind of quickly mentioned it when we were planning this, that the first time I saw your work was at the Facebook headquarters in Menlo Park. I think you had just installed that wall of knots. Yeah, that was in 2019. So, you know, I did this project that kind of launched my art career in 2016, where I taught myself one knot every day for the whole year. And, um, and then everything has like happened since then. And so Facebook actually asked me to recreate the year of knots. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> but, um, but I did it. I did nothing else. I did it 24 seven. It took me six weeks to tie all 366 knots again. But um, that oh. what a rewarding project that was. Yeah. And so what, um, well, you said that launched your career. What were you doing before you were tying knots? Oh, yeah. So I've had two really long careers. I'm 54 years old. Now. Oh, my God, I'm 55. I'm 55. <laughs> um, so I, I owned a record store for 14 years in the 90s here in San Francisco. And then um, I joined Apple in the early days of iTunes. Uh, music was the connector there. And so I was an editor at iTunes and a producer. And then my last job at Apple, um, I was the managing editor of the App Store. So I was at Apple for almost a decade. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so during that time, were you making art? Like, were you doing stuff on your own? No, you know, I have this epiphany when I was sitting at my desk one day, toiling in front of my computer. And I realized that my two careers at the record store and at Apple were both about supporting other people's creativity. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm a natural evangelist for the things yeah. that I love. And so it felt so comfortable and natural for many years. But then at some point, I realized that I had neglected my own creativity. 
And when you have a job at Apple, it's 24 seven. I mean, you can't, it's hard to have like any kind of anything else. Um, So I just took the leap. I realized, you know, at this time I was like 46 or 47 when I had that epiphany. And I thought if I'm ever going to have another life, if I want to focus on my own creativity, then I'm just going to, I need to do it now. So I quit my job the next month and uh, yeah. Yeah. So that was in 2013. And so did you have a plan? Like, did you know it was going to be like knots and ropes and, or were you thinking painting? Like, what were you thinking? I didn't know. So I gave myself a year. I, I gave myself a year to go on a creative journey. So I took, I just took classes, you know, the same like weekend have classes that all of us take like a workshop here and a weekend there kind of thing. And you name it, I took a class in it, like everything, ceramics, interior design, weaving, stone carving, wood carve, like everything. And when I found, um, when I, I took a macrame refresher class, because my mother had taught me in the 70s, but I, I couldn't remember how to get started. So I took this Same. class and within, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, the 70s. Yeah. Um, <laughs> within five minutes of the repetitive motion of the knotting, I fell deeply in love with it. And then I just went really deep. Wow. And so why, why a knot a day? Cause you were just trying to teach yourself how to do as many knots as possible. Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, I had this, I had this epiphany one day I was like in my backyard, I had this epiphany and I realized, so I had been making like the same plant hangers and wall hangings that a lot of people make. And I don't know what your Facebook feed looks like, but mine is like a lot of that. And my work look like everybody else's. A lot of it is really similar. It is a beautiful traditional craft. Um, But what I realized was that the reason most macrame looks so similar is because there's only a handful of knots that you use in macrame. It's like four or five and you just kind of recombine them in different combinations and, and, uh, uh, and there's a lot of repetition. Um, So I was very focused on, um, I knew that if I wanted to make a living full-time in the most expensive city in the country, San Francisco, that um, the work needed to be original. And so um, when I had that, when I had the realization that macrame uses only a handful of knots, the answer was like, oh, I should just learn more knots. I should just learn all the knots. So that was the, (laughs) that was the idea. Yeah. And so where did you learn them? Like YouTube? Like where did you, or did you take? Yes, I would I would, I mostly learned from like hundred year old sailors nodding books, which is, I was going to say, did you go down to the Harbor and hit up some sailors for (laughs) Oh my God. Those nodding books are hilarious because you know, there's a whole like very salty sea language. There's a whole, there's a fully, there's a fully realized culture, um, around, uh, it's a maritime culture, all the things. Um, so I got a history lesson in that. Um, and then like every, um, you know, every occupation has knots. There are farmers' knots and rock climbers' knots, and NASA even has some knots that only they use. And so it was a history lesson, and and all of the things. And and I also think that knots are perfectly designed objects. So there's design um, involved there, mm-hmm. um, and and math and science. There are mathematical knots, which is yet another whole world unto itself. So it's just kind of this very fertile intersection that speaks to the aesthetic part of my brain and also the super geeky nerdy part of my brain that's amazing and so at what point in that year that you gave yourself did you decide macrame knots like or, or was that year up already 
I think the year had been up already and I'd gotten really into wood carving. And so I had originated like a spoon design that no one I had that was original that I'd never seen before. And I was making a decent living at that, but I wasn't able to take the wood carving to um, a fine art level. It mm -hmm. remained like a really amazing craft for me. And I was making functional objects. But I mean, you can't sell like a hand carved wooden spoon for more than like $100 kind of thing. And I was just being really practical. Also, I was starting, I was nearing my 50s and I thought this is not, it's like, it's very taxing on your body. Um, so so I, I kind of intuited that wood carving probably wasn't going to be the sustainable um, career choice for me. So, um, so it's not like I was actively looking for anything else. But once I felt, you know, when you find something you're passionate about, it's not like you're you, like practicality kind of goes out the window a little bit. Yeah. I just loved it so much. I loved it. And, you know, when I started doing the knotting, I, I also went kind of down the product route of making functional objects. I started with this, um, this light that I called the helix light. It's like a hand hanging pendant lamp. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I learned a lot of lessons from that too. Like I learned that I don't want to make products. Like I don't, all of the things, like when you have an online store and you have products, you get a lot of customer expectations. A lot of your day is about fulfilling orders and packaging and fucking UPS and all of that. <laughs> and I just didn't want, I didn't, it didn't bring me joy. It did not spark joy. Yeah. Um, but when I would make when I would make fine art pieces, each one of which is unique, so no boredom for me. Um, you call it art, and you can basically do anything. You call it art, and you can do anything. <laughs> and I was like, "This is it. This is fun." Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. Okay, so I'm gonna. This is a perfect segue into um, the question, and I, I'm pretty sure I sent it to you. I know that I sent it to you, but. Um, and it's so funny because Margaret, who sent in the question, actually named you specifically um, when asking this question, like asking if I knew. And I'm like, I, I don't know. Let's call her and ask. Oh, so, um, she could have just asked me. I think she and I have like, we've, we've DM'd together before, but whatever. I'm glad that we're talking about it now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I know. And I think it's, a, it's, it, maybe it's an awkward question. It's one of those like, you know, behind the scenes kind of, it's like asking somebody how much they make, maybe, I don't know. So what she wanted to know is about PR because um, she had a friend, um, she did that great big uh, hook rug um, of mini Pearl at the Graduate Hotel in Nashville. And it's amazing. Yeah. But a lot of her work is, um, you know, 12 by 12, maxing out at 40 by 40 um, cross stitch. And so this friend had said two things. One, uh, if she wanted to level up uh, to go bigger and um, or to think about going bigger and to get a PR type person in their life. So um, I just had Gio Swaby on to talk about the scale part because she does textile work and they've gotten big. So she came and talked about that. So the second part of the question, Margaret writes, what are your thoughts on the value of an art business PR type person? Have you used one? No, I have not. Um, she says, for example, Wendy Chen, <laughs> do you think she uses an, uh, an art PR person? Um, I feel like this is something that artists do, but maybe keep on the down low. And so I reached out to you and said, because I figured, why guess? I'm just going to ask you. And you had such an amazing answer in your DM. So let's talk about that because you did use a PR person. 
I totally did. And I'm completely open about it. You know, um, my book came out in 2019 and it's about my journey to becoming an artist. And I have like a whole section in there about how, what, how, what I did with PR and how that oh, okay. was the right decision for me. Yeah. I'm very open about it. Um, what's, what's the yeah. book called? My book is called the year of knots. It came oh, out on Abram. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So it's all about all the things that you and I just talked about in the last 10 minutes are in the book. Yeah. Um, so I'm super happy to share what my experience has been. And so, you know, I was, this was when I started working with my PR person, um, it was when I had, was doing the lights and okay. I was in progress on the year of knots. So it was like six months into the year of knots. And I kind of had a feeling, I mean, I knew it was going to become like a big thing. It's right behind yeah, me yeah. right now. I knew it was going to become a thing, um, but I didn't know how to, uh, how to, you know, I, I figured like, again, I was thinking about, I would like to make a living at this. How does one do that? I didn't really have very many examples of people in my life who had made a living in the arts as the artist, um, whether a writer, a songwriter, or, you know, a visual artist. Um, so I just, I didn't even know that it was possible, but I was talking to my friend Hannah one day and Hannah is a musician. She's released like a dozen albums. She records as cold beat. That's the name of her band. Um, and she was like, why don't you just hire a PR person? And I was like, that's because that is the most unpunk rock thing that you could possibly do. Like we're <laughs> punk rockers. We do it DIY. How, how dare I ask for help? Um, but Hannah said that she hires a PR person every time she releases an album because there's so much out there, um, you know, and she didn't have the expertise to kind of write a press release or she didn't have the relationship in the media world yeah. um, to get attention for her work. And so at, at that moment, it just kind of made sense to me. I was like, oh, right. Why? why? I don't have that kind of expertise, but I do want to make a living at this. And so I found a PR person. Uh, her name is Melissa Davis and her company is called Ruby PR. And she's amazing. Um, she just understood the work and understood how to talk about it. And what I realized was that um, when you get a good piece of PR, what it's doing is it's putting your work in front of the people who are likely going to support you in doing more of it. So it just makes so much sense to me now, right? Like every time I got a piece of PR, it just causes chain reaction of new opportunities coming to me and new art collectors coming to me because everyone reads Martha Stewart. You know what I mean? <laughs> like everyone reads those really mainstream magazines. I mean, within two months, she got me into the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, you know, I've been in Sunset Magazine. Um it, 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 yeah, it just caused a chain reaction. It put my work in front of people who would support me in doing more of it. So PR is not cheap, but it has paid for itself like many times over. Right. I, I can't recommend it more highly. Yeah. And so did you just hire her um, kind of like your friend Hannah, like who does it album by album? Did you just say like, did you guys just have like a six month deal or a three month deal or a great question? Yeah, that's a great question. So Melissa explained to me that PR is kind of a long game. So a really good PR person, what they do is they nurture all of these relationships with like editors and writers and, you know, journalists. Um, and, and they pay attention to all the publications and kind of the direct, the editorial direction of all of the different publications. And so a good PR person pitches on your behalf to certain publications about specific things that are going to make sense for that publication and that's how they're not wasting editors time right, right. they're you know they're not going to pitch me to like 
you know, garden and gun magazine kind of thing. It doesn't make sense. They're not just going to like blanket the media right. world with all about me. They're really, they're really targeted and specific about it. Um, and that's how they, you know, earn and keep respect in, in the media world. Um, anyway, so it is a long game. And so with the, with having said that, um, Sometimes it can take six months or a year before a publication editorial slant is like at the right moment. And then I happen to have like a new project that's also happening at the right moment. And then it makes sense and it's right. kind of thing. So it's a long game. So I, I think I hired her. She took me on as like a junior client for a year. Um, and we got results immediately, like I said, within two months of the San Francisco Chronicle. But I stayed with her for, I want to say, three or four years. Um and then we took a break. Um, I felt like I felt like it was fine to take a break. You know, my 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 business is thriving. I mean, we're just we we're we have the next six months planned out. You know, we have a lead time of six months, and things are going really well. So the PR had done its job. Um, with that being said, I have uh, started working with her again in the past couple of months because I have a fine jewelry line that's coming out. There's a jewelry line that um, invited me to collaborate with them on a line. And so I brought Melissa back in for that because I don't know the jewelry world at all. And I want this line to be successful. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Am I talking too much? I feel like I'm No, like, this is just that? like, I don't know anything about this. So when I saw when I saw this question come through, my instinct was to be like, well, I'm not going to do that episode because I don't know how to answer that question. And that's why I love reaching out to to different artists who have these answers. And I am just like all ears because that's kind of how I feel with my books and stuff. Um, yeah. Because I don't have like publishing houses have PR, but they're also, I mean, those poor people are also working on like a bazillion books at a time and yeah. you know, it's not yeah. very targeted. So yeah. I do a lot of it myself. But again, what do I know? Um, you know, so I kind of feel like, am I at a point where I need somebody? And yeah, so I'm all ears about this too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have another interesting learning that I got that might be useful for you. Um, in the beginning, when I was talking with Melissa, I was like, you know, I want to be in art forum and I want to be in all these like fancy fine art magazines. And she was like, no. She's like, you want to go as mainstream as possible. And I was like, why? But she was right because everybody reads those magazines. So like she got me, I was in Martha Stewart like three or four years ago. And from that, so many other editors from the fancy magazines found me because everybody, right. you know, like you yeah. can't, when you're at the dentist's office, you're going to page through Martha Stewart. Right. Yeah. And they're so constantly, the, those people are constantly looking for content right so you're They're kind of looking, looking wherever you're, yeah yeah and so you get so, you frankly get the most bang for your buck or the most eyes on your work if you go as mainstream as possible yeah and you know one of the things that margaret had said in in the beginning of her email was that so the and i don't know again i i, I keep projecting on her because i really want her to do more of these giant hook rugs yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah i think what she had sort of said was that that was a bit of a one-off because it was a commission and all of the materials and an assistant were paid for. So she could do something on such a large scale. Day to day, I think she's feeling like she doesn't have the money or the help to, you know, to go big scale on something that takes a really, really long time. Right. And then what's so, but I think what she wants to do, and again, Margaret, if you're listening, I'm 
I hope you're nodding along with me that this is what you want to do. I think she wants more opportunities to do the big stuff, to do more of like the, that. the big hook rugs, right? And yeah. I think that having the PR, because that, that piece is so beautiful and it's in such a beautiful space that if you had the right PR person going, hey, look at this thing she did, you would assume that then more projects like that would follow. Well, that's exactly right. You know, the first big project I did, uh, my, my advice to artists who want to go big is always like, you might have to just do the first one yourself and eat the cost. And then you pay for professional photography and take fucking amazing photos of it and then get those out into the world. Because customers and collectors are only going to want to buy from you what they've already seen you do, right? Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to prove that you can go big. So in Margaret's case, it's so great that she got paid to do this super large scale one because now she can pimp the fuck out of it, right? <laughs> and and get more work like that and she you know i would say be really strategic about it for example i don't i don't it does not thrill me to make small scale work it's just not my happy place so even though i do make small scale work occasionally i never post photos of it i only post photos of the work that i want to do more of interesting and uh, like so like such a obvious thing like, why would you yeah. post? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, oh. yeah. You only post what you want it, what you want to, to be supported in doing more of. Yeah. And then like other things, if she wants to go big, it's like, you know, then then the project will come. If she, um, you know, if Minnie Pearl is out there in the world, then the project will come. And then Margaret just needs to get really organized about figuring out like the budget and da, 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 and charging what she's worth and not undercharging, you know, which is yeah. just a disservice to every other artist out there kind of thing. And really thinking about what the work is worth and then just being professional, you know, a lot yeah. of times with large scale stuff like that, it's going to be hospitality. It's going to be, um, you know, yeah. restaurants, hotels, it's going to be um, architects coming to you. And all those people are like professional creatives. Yeah. And so if you can be as professional as possible, then you're going to be speaking the same language that they are. I just think that's like a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that was all just so awesome. And I already know people are at home are like scribbling notes and scribbling notes. So um, it's Melissa, right? Your your PR? Her name's Melissa Davis. Yeah. And you think she's, how is she going to feel if she gets like 300 emails after this? Um... Oh, I already asked her if it was okay to mention okay. her name. And she's like, bring it on. <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, I will put all of her information. I'll get it from you and I'll put it in okay. the show notes so that people have access to it. Um. I loved every single bit about this and I'm so even more happy that I actually got to meet you because I've been following you for so long. Yeah, yeah. Likewise. likewise I love your work. I love your creative work so much. Not only like the very incredible service that you're providing by doing incredible curating, but I love your artwork too. Oh, so thank you. Well, you yeah. know what? I'm, I'm going to be in San Francisco. I get to read my kid's book at SF MoMA and I know in June. And so if you're around, we should do coffee or something. Oh, um, come by the studio. I would come love that. Yeah, of course. Okay. Okay. And um, I'm going to interview kids on the podcast at SF MoMA. <laughs> oh, that's great. It's oh my be, God. I'm, it's gonna that's going to be so much fun. I'll I be know. there. I'll be there. Um, okay. Well, thank you again so, so much. And from everybody listening, I know that they are all like at home going, thank you so much. Like it's so oh. nice. And you know, that's just great advice for everything. Like we can't do everything. And I think 
artists always think they have to do everything themselves and DIY and whatever. And it's like, well, why? You don't know how to do this. There are people out there that do hire them. And I think that's a really good way to think of it. If you want to be a professional yeah. artist, be professional. Yeah. 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 It's a lesson I had to learn. You know, I was, I'm very clear that this is the last career that I ever want to have. I want to do this until I die. And I, so I take it seriously. And so I had to force myself to learn when it's okay to ask for help. I had yeah. to learn that lesson. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's okay to ask for help. Give yourself permission. Um, and I just also want to say like all the things that we talked about today, like really practical stuff, even about quitting my job, I put all that in my book. So if people want to learn more, um, I would encourage them to pick that. Yeah. And I'm going to put that. That's why I asked which book Thanks. it was. I'm going to put that in the links too. So people can go right to it and check it out. Killer. Thank you so much. And I will chat Thank with you, you and um, hopefully we'll meet in person in June. Okay. I hope so. I'm going to oh. hold you to that. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I'm going to hold you to All right. it. Okay. All right. Thanks. Bye. Daniel. Bye. Well, how amazing was that? Not only was her origin story so so inspiring and I had no idea about any of that I also had no idea about any of these PR things and the advice she gave based on her actual experience was perfect and Margaret I hope you loved it I hope it helps um, I am going to put um, all of the information all the links that Wendy mentioned in the YouTube notes so that you guys can find it and apparently her PR lady is willing to have a bazillion artists email her. So why not? Um, I think my favorite part of her advice was, quote, pitch the fuck out of it. Yes, I think that's an official art book term. And um, I loved it. And I think it's awesome advice for all of us. So with that gem, I'm pretty sure I can close the folder and say, case closed on this one. Now the final paperwork, though your assignment for the week. Um, okay, now this one, it sounds really simple, but it is actually really, really hard. Um, okay, so first, I love lists. <laughs> so the first thing I want you to do is make a list of all of the areas where you think you might need help. That might be with career stuff like pricing or PR or I don't know, anything like that. Um, it might be about your actual work. Like um, I have some friends who want to try doing resin. So they've been looking for workshops um, to try that. So is it materials? Is it um, business? What is it? I want you to write everything down, everything and all of it, anything that you think that you could use a bit of help with. Um, now, beside each of those areas, another list, um, I want you to write the people that might potentially be able to help you. So they might be people you know, or they might just be people you know of, um, sort of like Margaret and, and Wendy knowing of each other, but not being, you know, super close friends or whatever, but just people that you have an inkling might know the answer to the things that you need help for. Okay, now this is the really hard part. It's three words brace yourself. It's ask for help. Mm -hmm. Yep. Put up your hand, even if it's just um, an Instagram post to no one specific and ask for what you need, because you are going to be stunned by how many answers roll in. I am going to do it too, because there are so many things that I need help with. And why should those be kept in a vacuum? 
there are so many amazing, generous people like Gio and Wendy who are so willing to share their experiences and um, why not help each other, right? It's, it's all part of this community. We're all in this together. Why not help each other up that ladder, right? Right. Well, thank you so much to Margaret for sending in this question that led to all of this. Um, I hope it helped. I hope that you feel like you're on a path. Um, you know, clearly where I stand on that path. But this is your path. I'm not going to be bossy. Um, huge thanks to Gio and Wendy for helping answer all of these questions in such thoughtful, generous ways. I I can't even begin to say how much I appreciate the time and effort that they both put into their answers. And I hope that it helped everybody who's listening. You can find all of the links in the show notes over at youtube.com slash the jealous curator. And I will be back with more creative cases needing to be solved in a couple of weeks. See you then. 